This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. My job is useless. My days of war. Inside this office. From eight till four. Nothing ever pretty plan pretending that I'm working pray I don't get canned my cubicle my cubicle it's one of sixty Good morning, everybody. That was awesome. That was fantastic. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm going to kind of guide us through the rest of our morning together. So in order to to walk through this with me, you're going to want a few things. You're going to want your Connect card. It's that card that says Start Here. So pull that out, and at some point during the morning, go ahead and fill it out. You're also going to want those teaching notes because they will guide you where we're going this morning. So make sure you grab that and get ready. We are in for a treat. The third thing I want you to do while you're grabbing your teaching notes, while you're getting out that Connect card, think about your first job. Think about your first job. Remember back, for some of you it was a year or two ago, for some of you it was quite some time. Think of your first job. Now, I'm going to need you to uh, participate, engage with me a little bit, and I know it can be a little un. Nerving. I'm going to ask you to actually raise your hand in a second, but don't worry, you're not signing up for anything. Uh, but I want to ask you, how many of you loved your first job? You've been working uh, for the rest of your life just to get back to that first job. I mean, if you could like make your way back up to your first job, you'd be set. Go ahead, keep those hands raised. I want to see. You loved your first job. How many of you, your first job was not your favorite? Yes, the rest of us. Uh, you know, I had some pretty good early jobs. One of my first jobs was as a soccer referee. And I loved it because I love soccer. 
and uh, I got paid to run around and watch people play soccer. And what teenager doesn't like having authority and power over adults, right? I, I loved the whistle. You know, I loved the whistle a little too much, but I was, I was fair. I was a just referee. Uh, but one of the things I learned refereeing soccer is that some soccer dads and moms, but for us, a lot of soccer dads really love their kids' soccer. I remember one time my brother and I were refereeing a night soccer game at this junior high, and there was a coach, and the coach was going crazy. He was running up and down the field. He was yelling at the players, and they couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old, yelling at the players. And then when I'd make a call, he would just yell and scream at me. And, and I made a call, and he didn't like it, and he ran me right upside one side and ran me right down the other side. But being the, the just and fair referee that I was, I gave him a warning. I said, listen, sir, I need you to go back into your 10 by 10 box. I need you to stay there. I need you to stop yelling at me. If you don't, I will give you a red card and throw you out of this game. And he just kept on going and yelling at me. I said, sir, you have one more chance. He kept on yelling at me. So I did what any fair and just referee would do. I reached for my pocket. I pulled out that magic plastic red card, and I said, bam. I said, you're out of here, pal. No, I was, I was I said, sir, you got to go. The game will not start until you are off the premises. And he was not happy. Some of the parents were cheering. His poor kid was totally embarrassed. He left the game. We finished up. All the parents and kids left the game, left the field. Uh, We were putting everything away. The lights turned off. And my brother and I walked into the parking lot to walk to our car. And there was one car left in the parking lot. And there was a motorcycle with a rider with a helmet on. And I knew immediately that was the coach. He was waiting for me in a dark parking lot. (laughs) My brother and I said, okay, let's get to the car as quick as we can. So we started walking to the car. Well, he beelined in front of us. And he got there and he cut us off. And it was like... helmet on, lid drawn, and he's walking towards us. And I'm thinking to myself, they do not pay me enough to get beat up by a crazy guy in a motorcycle helmet. And he walks right up. I'm trying to look as tough as I can in black soccer shorts and a pink jersey. And he lifts his shield. He says, I just want to apologize for losing my temper. And he turns around and he walks away. And I think I wet myself a little bit. (laughs) Listen, we have all had jobs. At one point or another, we've all had a job. Some of the jobs we've loved. Some of the jobs we have hated. Some of us feel trapped in our jobs right now. Some of us are just killing time using this job as a stepping stool to get to the next job, the better job, the job that will make more money, have the benefits, get me to do the thing I really want to do. Some of us work outside of the home, but I want to talk to uh, many of us who work inside the home, stay-at-home parents. Uh, You have an incredibly difficult job, and I realized this. My wife both works part-time from home and is a full-time stay-at-home parent, and I joked, I used to joke with her, hey, it must be nice to be on perma-vacation. You just get to stay home all the time with the kids and have fun. Uh, That was early in marriage. That was early in marriage. She's a forgiving woman. Well, her job changed, and she started having to travel on weekends. And I remember the first weekend she was gone, and I had both of our little kids with me by myself. She got home on Saturday night late, and I had balloons, and I had flowers, and I had a card, and I had a banner, because that was the hardest weekend I had ever spent in my life. And it was both by way of apology, I'm sorry for being an idiot, 
and by way of, I love you, I'm so glad you're home, because being a stay-at-home parent is work. It is hard work. Can I get an amen? amen. I can get an amen for some of my stay-at-home parents out there. I want to ask how many of you in your current job, if you're, if you're working right now, because some of us are, let's be honest, some of us are, are trying to find work. We would take any job right now. And, and so uh, we just wonder, you know, what's this, what's this going to look like right now when I'm not working? Well, you have a job too. Your job is right now to be finding a job and to be, be getting into that space. But how many of you in your current job would say that you love your current job? You would not want to go anywhere else. Hey, that's pretty good. That's a handful of us. How many of you would say uh, that you, you don't hate your current job, but you don't love your current job? It's a job. It pays the bills. It, it's okay. Yeah, raise your hand. How many of you say, it's, it's an okay job. I don't mind it. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't feel like it, it gives me a lot of fulfillment. Maybe you feel like your job is more punching the clock uh, working for the weekend, just trying to get it done so you can move on to the next thing than actually being fulfilled in your work. A, a study came out recently that said that we spend as American adults about half of our waking time working. Half of our lives that are awake are spent at work. And if we don't love what we do, if we don't find fulfillment in what we do, we are missing out on life. And here's the great thing. I want to promise you something today. I, I don't care what job you have right now. You can find fulfillment in your job starting tomorrow. Even if you don't feel fulfilled right now, you can find fulfillment in your job. We're going to talk about that this morning, about what it looks like to be fulfilled in our job, to find purpose and to find a passion for what we do. And I want to say, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I can guarantee that no matter what your job is, stay-at-home parent, working in a factory, working in a school, uh, whatever you do, you can find fulfillment in your job. But there's some keys to it, because here, here's the thing we have to understand. God, God did not create us to waste one half of our waking time. God did not create you to dread one half of your waking adult life. God created you to be a person that finds fulfillment in life, that finds purpose in life, that finds joy in life. And the things that we're going to explore today, the things that we're going to explore in the next couple of weeks as we get into this series, take this job and love it, are going to be things that will help us to find our purpose, our fulfillment, uh, and a sense of joy in the things that we do, so that we never have to have a case of the Mondays again. So that we can love our job. Because God wants us to not shove our job. He wants us to love our job. He wants us to take this job and love it. But it all comes down to why we work and how we work. And so in this series, we're going to be exploring a lot of different things. We're going to explore topics like, what do I do when work is stressful? How do I manage stress? How do I work in a stressful environment? What do I do when my boss is a jerk? or when my coworkers are jerks, or when my, my subordinates, the people that work below me, don't respect me, what do I do in those situations? What do I do when integrity in the workplace could cost me everything? See, we're going to be getting into some big topics because God has a lot to say about work, because the truth is the way we spend half of our waking time impacts our faith, and our faith should impact how we spend one half of our waking time. And so I want to jump in in the very beginning of the Bible because work is such an important thing to God that one of the first things he tells people to do is 
to work. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And if you've read through Genesis carefully, you're going to see that Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 give us two accounts, two stories of how the world came into being. And they're different. And that might confuse us, but here's why God made them different. Genesis chapter 1 kind of gives us a, a linear timeline of how the world came into being. Genesis chapter 2 gives us that same story from the perspective of man, from the perspective of people. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 to see how God created the world and why he created us in a certain way. So Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 starts out like this. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the earth and heaven. Now no shrub in the field had yet, was yet in the earth and no plant of the field was yet sprouted. And here's why, because the Lord had not sent rain upon the earth. And, and you might want to circle and underline this just so you remember, The other reason why God had not planted crops in the ground was because there was no one there to cultivate the ground. That word cultivate literally means work. The reason God had not begun to create and develop shrubs and plant life was because there was no man there, no person there to work what God had created. Verse 6 says, But a mist rose up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust. So this mist comes down and there's this dust and God kind of takes the mist and the dust and makes some mud and he begins to form a man out of the ground. And God breathed life into his nostrils and it was the breath of life. And man became a living being. Verse 8, And then the Lord God planted a garden to the east of Eden. And there he planted the man whom he had formed Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow up every tree that was pleasing to sight and everything that was good for food. And the tree of life is also in the midst of the garden, as is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now in just a second we're going to talk about work, and we're going to get into that. But before we start talking about work, I want to ask you parents a question, because there's kind of a bunny trail that we have to get to if we're really going to understand work. So parents, I have a question for you. When your son or your daughter was born, What could they do for you at the minute of their birth? What I mean is, when your daughter was born, did she make life easier for you? No, no, Dad, let me get up and make breakfast. I'll warm my own milk today, thank you. When your son was born, did he immediately come out and get a job to take on his share of the family responsibility? Because listen, there's more mouths to feed in the house now, so he better get working. What could your child do for you the minute they were born? Nothing. Nothing. But what was your child worth to you the minute they were born? They were priceless. Right? They could not do anything. And yet they were priceless. The Bible says that God was creating Uh, these plants, and he was creating the world, and, and there was this mist that came down, and this dust, and some clay started to form, and God, God, not in an assembly line sort of way, but in a very personal, intimate sort of way, began to form a man together. He took the water and the dust, and he brought him together, and he formed his arms, and he formed his legs, and he formed his head, and he formed his body, and the man was laying there lifeless, and then God, the Bible says, breathed life, breathed God's own breath. Another word for that is God's own spirit. He breathed his spirit into the man, and the man became alive. Now, in that moment, what could the man do for God? Not a whole lot. 
What did God need the man to do? Nothing. God is God. God doesn't need the man for anything. But what was the man worth to God in that moment? Everything. Everything. Because according to the Bible, part of God was now in the man. God's breath was in the man. God had formed the man and created the man. When it comes to work, most of us fall on one of two extremes in a pendulum that can be really unhealthy. Either we don't value work, we're just punching a clock, and therefore we don't put our best, our effort, into our jobs. Or on the other side of the pendulum, we find our identity in our work. We love our work so much that it actually defines us. And so if work is going good, we're happy. We feel successful. We feel like a success. If work is going bad, we feel like a failure. If we get fired, we feel like we're nothing. And what happens is it spills over into our our families. In this whole series, we're going to be talking a lot about what does it look like to have a good, right, healthy perspective on work, and how can we work hard, and what does it look like to succeed in our work and move forward in our work. But we have to understand something from the very beginning. I want to talk to those of you who find our identity in our work. We cannot find our identity in what we do. Like the man, we have to find our identity in God. The man had not done anything for God, and yet he found his identity in God because God had made him. God had created him. God loved him. And I want to say something, and someone in here needs to hear this this morning before we start talking about work. We do not work to gain approval or value or worth in God's perspective. We work because we already are. We're valued, and we're loved by God. If you're here this morning and you find your kind of your your sense of who you are, your identity, your value wrapped up in what you do, I think God would say to you, stop it. Don't do that, because what you do could change tomorrow. You could get fired tomorrow. You could, you could have an accident at work tomorrow, which could change everything you do. Something could happen at work tomorrow that could change everything. And you know who's going to suffer? You're going to suffer if that happens and your identity is found in work. Your family's going to suffer if that happens and your identity is found in work. Instead, God says, find your identity in me because I love you, because I created you, because I know you, and because I have a plan for your life. And once you find your identity in me, then you can work the way I created you to work. And so I want to talk about fulfillment today, but fulfillment and identity are two very different things. Fulfillment is good. We should find fulfillment in what we do. In fact, God created us to be fulfilled by our work. You should go home at the end of the day, or if you're home, if you're a stay-at-home parent, you should finish up that day with a sense of, I achieved something. I feel fulfilled. I feel a sense of purpose in what I do. But we cannot find our identity in what we do. Once the man understands who God is, once he wakes up, once God's breath begins to flow through him and come into him and he finds himself in God, then he's freed up to work. And notice what God does next. The Bible says, then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to do two things, to cultivate it and to keep it. And that word cultivate literally means to create, to be a creative force. He put the man in the garden to be a creative force in the garden, to take the garden and to make it better, to be creative. And the next one is, to, to keep it. And keeping it literally means to serve or to give care for. 
God created the man to be creative. He created him to create, and he created him to care. We have two main roles in our jobs. Create and care. Create and care. Create and care. Our job is to create. To, to take uh, what we do and think about what you do for a second. Maybe you're a parent at home. Maybe you work in the IT world. To take whatever you do and to creatively make it better. That's what you're called to do. Not just punch a time clock, but to creatively make what you do better. And to do that, we have to ask the question, how can I make whatever I do, my job, better? How can I make it better? What can I do? God created us to be creative. God created us, and the Bible says, in his image. And we know from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God is a creative God because God created the entire world. And then he made us in his own image, and he made us to be creative people. Stay-at-home parents, your job is not simply to keep the kids from hurting themselves, killing each other, uh, or getting in too much trouble until your spouse gets home. That's not your job. Your job is to create for your kids, to create an atmosphere where your kids can learn and grow and develop and experience God and, and be taught all that they need to be taught. Your job is to create. And then your job is to care. See, if we only create, that's just half, half the challenge. Uh, I'm going to tell you my story in just a few minutes, but I do okay at the creative side. Uh, I like to create. I like to do fun stuff. But caring is something that God's been, been convicting me. I've been challenging me of lately. Because if we just create, but we don't care, it's only half the story. The second part of what we're called to do is to care and to care deeply for our job. And if you're here and you hate your job, you think there's no way I could care for my job. I hate what I do. I don't like the people I work with. I do not like my job. Here's how you can care for your job. Ask the question, who am I serving in my job? Who are the people associated with my job? Because even if you don't like your job itself, you can love the people associated with your job. My family's all in education. My dad's a principal. My brother's an assistant principal. My mom is a secretary. So I have a front row seat to the education system. And you know what I've seen in education? And you probably saw this too growing up. How many of you resonate with this? The teachers who were the best at their job. They were creative. They didn't use the same curriculum for 40 years. And they loved kids. The best teachers. Creative, love kids. But how many of you had a teacher who was either uncreative, you were doing the same homework your parents did when they were in that class, or somewhere along the way, they just stopped caring about the kids. Weren't those the teachers that you just wanted to get out of their class? And that's the way it is for all of us. God created us to be creative in what we do, to look for new ways to make our job better, and he created us to care for people, to love people, to be around people, like I say, God created me to be creative. I like doing creative things. I like taking risks. I like being a little edgy. But about a year ago, uh, I had a woman in the church come up to me after a service one day, and she said, Kevin, you're a really good preacher. I said, well, that's kind. She's obviously a gracious person. Uh, she said, but I wonder sometimes, do you really love me? 
and she, and she said that, and it, it cut me to the core. That question, do you really love me? I went home and I wrestled with that all that night and the next day and the next day. And I began to ask people, do you think I'm a loving person? And my, my true friends, this is what they said to me. They said, Kevin, you love people. You love the vision. You love reaching people with the love of God. You love the mission of the church. You are a vision-oriented guy. You're a type A guy. You're a driven guy. You love people. But I don't know if you love persons the way you're supposed to. And I had a crisis moment. So I said, God, you need to show me how to love people because I can't just be creative as a pastor. I need to, to love. I need to care for people. And over the course of the last year, God's been developing that in me, which is why you hear me say sometimes on stage, man, I love my church, and I love you guys. So I get all weird and sappy sometimes, saying, man, I just love you guys, because God is like forming this love inside of me for you. And you know what it's doing in that? He's making me love my job. I love my job. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. I just love my job. And if you're sitting here right now and you don't love your job, it could be that, that you have a care issue. You might be really good at what you do, but if you don't love the people you serve, you're never going to find fulfillment in your job. Because we are created to create, and we are created to care. So this morning, I want to leave you with two questions to ask if you want to find fulfillment in work. The first question is this, who am I impacting? Who am I impacting? Who's being affected by what I do? Who am I impacting? For some of you, that's easy. You work in people-oriented jobs. You know exactly who you're impacting. For some of us, that's harder because we work indirectly with people. Like I said, Maria, my wife, man, she is just, she's awesome. She's stellar. She works indirectly with people right now. She works in a ministry where she sets up these giant events for hundreds of people, and she does all the directing of the conference behind the scenes, and she does all the planning of it and the logistics of it. And then she sends the conference all packaged up over to some city or over to some state, and they do the conference. But she doesn't always get to go to the conference. And so when she first got into this job, she said, I'm feeling this disconnect. I want to be at the conference because I want to be with the people, but my job is way over here. And we had to, to figure out the disconnect. How can you love the people who are being benefited by what you do while still staying over here working indirectly? And some of you have that challenge right now. You work indirectly with people. You will sit in front of a computer all day and you don't ever have any contact with people. You have to answer the question, who am I impacting and how can I care for them? The second question is this. How can I creatively make those people's lives better? If you want to find fulfillment in work, and if you don't want to find fulfillment in work, don't ask these questions. You, you know, God still loves you. You'll still be with him one day in heaven. You're just going to hate your job for the next 20 years. And you know what? That's your choice. But if you want to be fulfilled in what you do, who am I impacting? Who, who am I caring for? And how can I creatively make their life better? And I want you to take some time right now, because we have a few minutes, and just write down who that is on the side of your notes. And it could be a type of person. It could be your customer. Who's your customer? Who are you caring for? It could be specific people. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe the people God wants you to care for are your coworkers. If you're a stay-at-home parent, it's your kids. It's your neighbors. It's your neighborhood group. Who does God want you to care for? 
Because if we don't have a picture of who that is, then we have a hard time actually loving them, actually caring for them. But if we want to be fulfilled in what we do, we have to know who God wants us to care for. So take a second and just write, write their name or write down who that type of person is. Get a picture of them in your head. And then imagine with me what would happen if everyone in this room, I'm not talking about everybody in every church across the state, across the country. I'm talking about just everybody in this room right now. If we all said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God says to do when it comes to work. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to look for ways to make my workplace better, make my product better, make what I'm trying to sell or do better, and I'm going to care for people. Imagine what would happen. I know at least a few things would happen. One, uh, businesses would be scrambling to hire Christians. They say, man, I got to get me some more Christians up in here because the Christians love people. The Christians don't leave early. The Christians don't take my product and field test it at home. We call that stealing. They don't steal. The Christians have integrity. The Christians are always looking for ways to make my product better. If we did this, everyone would want to hire us. They couldn't get enough of us in the world. And then when we got into the job, man, we'd be loving people so much that they'd all become Christians. And then guess what? The company would get better because we were being creative and we were caring. I mean, if we did that, we would change the culture of business in our city. We really would. We'd change the culture of our schools, not by something we mandate, not by something we legislate, simply by, by working the way God called us to work, by creatively looking for ways to make the world better, and by knowing who we're caring for and caring for them deeply. I had you pull out those Connect cards a few minutes ago. I want you to grab that for me, because on the back it says, I want to apply today's teaching by, and I want to give you some ways to put it into practice. Because information that comes in, plus application, which is what we do with it, what goes out, leads to transformation in our lives. And I want your life to be transformed. Information coming in, application coming out, leads to transformation in our lives. And here's a few ways you can apply what you're learning. One would be this. You could say, you know what, I'm going to spend time this week identifying who God wants me to care for through my job. Maybe when I asked you to write that down, you had a hard time identifying who those people are. Maybe you need to spend some time this week praying and asking God, who do you want me to care for? What does it look like to care for people? The second thing you can do is say, you know what, I'm going to look for creative ways to make my job or my product better. I'm not going to have the status quo. I'm not just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to look for ways consistently to make whatever I do better. You know what will happen? You will stand out. You'll be, you'll be heads and shoulders above the rest of the people you work with. You want to get a promotion? Don't gossip. Don't back, backstab. Just look for ways to make your job better, your product better. And you're going to stand out and you're going to rise to the top. People are going to want to promote you. My hope as we go through this series for the next four weeks is that you will find a deep sense of purpose in what you do, a deep sense of fulfillment in what you do. But at the very base, at the very beginning, at the beginning level, it starts by saying, okay, God, I know that I was created to create. Would you show me how to create in my job? And I know I was created to care. Would you show me how to care? And everything else is going to flow out of that. The next thing I want to talk to you about is making a decision to give your life over to God. 
Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 talks about a God who is creative and loving and who actually knows you better than you know yourself and loves you in it with a deep love, a love that could absolutely change your life. Uh, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, which is basically a poem or a song that was written, is Psalm 139. And in it just, it says this. It says, God, you know me completely. When I get up, you're there. When I lay down, you're there. Before a thought is even in my mind, you know that thought. Before I even say a word, you know that word. And, and God, you love me anyway. And it's incredibly reassuring. And I want to tell you, God knows you. God knows what you're thinking right now. God sees you here and God loves you. He couldn't love you more than he does. He loves you so much that the Bible says that while we were so separated from God and there was no way for us to get back into a relationship with God because of this thing called sin that had separated us out from God, that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to the earth and Christ wrapped himself in flesh and took on a human body and that he died on a cross and when he died, he took the penalty for our sin so that we could experience forgiveness from God and be brought back to God. And the Bible says that anyone who believes in God is forgiven of their sin and is in a relationship with God and God's spirit lives in them and moves in them and guides them. And if you've never made a decision to give your life to God, today's the day for you. You can make that decision right now. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a second and you can pray it quietly. You can whisper it with me. It's a prayer of commitment saying, I'm gonna commit myself to you, Lord. And if you're here today and at one time you did have a relationship with God, but you feel like you've just walked away from him and you've been gone for a long time and you need to recommit yourself back to him, you can do that today too. You can pray that prayer with me when I pray it. By the way, if you pray that prayer, I want you to mark on your card that you're making that commitment so we can be connecting with you, so we can be praying for you. So would you join me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that you created us to work. That work is not supposed to be a burden. That work is not supposed to be something that we do until we get to that magical stage in life called retirement. But that work is supposed to be a joy. Work is supposed to be something that brings us fulfillment and that we can find fulfillment when we create and when we care. So would you show us in our jobs starting tomorrow, starting today, if we go back to work this afternoon, would you show us how to creatively make our jobs better? Would you show us who to care for and how to care for them? As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one I was just talking about a minute ago, but you sense God is, is drawing you to himself, I want to tell you God loves you so much. And today is the day, now is the time to give your life to him, to enter into a relationship with him, to let him guide you. I can promise you this. It's not a magic bullet. Your, your life will not all of a sudden just miraculously become easier, but your life will become better because you'll be in a relationship with a God who created you and knows you and is forgiving you of your sin and is giving you the power to live the life you were always created to live. If you're here and you've never made that decision, you can do that today. You can pray this simple prayer, and I want you just to whisper it right where you are. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross to take the penalty for my sin on yourself. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And when you rose from the dead, you broke the power of sin and death and destruction in my life forever. And you opened the door for me to have a relationship with you. And today I say, yes, Lord. 
Yes, I want you to come and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Yes, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Yes, I ask that you would guide me every step of my life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.